This is episode 140 of the Relate Podcast on sharing the messy, raw, human truth with Lissa Mandel. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew, and welcome to another episode of Relate. We have a very great guest joining us for today's episode. Her name is Lissa Mandel. Lissa is incredible. Her work very much aligns with the work that I'm doing, both in this podcast and beyond. She is an actress, comedian, storyteller. She's the conversation engineer at Zany, and she is an ambassador for empathy. She is really doing some amazing work when it comes to connecting people to their humanity, discovering ways in which we could find empathy in the workplace. In fact, she is also the host of What's Betwixt Us, which is a podcast about that. And in this episode, we talk about her journey as an actress, how that led into the work that she is doing centered around empathy today, talking about the messy, raw, human truth that is inherent in all of us, the power of storytelling, and how technology allows us to see many possibilities within our lives. This is a really great episode. Please head over to Apple Podcasts. Let me know your thoughts. Leave me a review. I would love to hear what you think. And also, if you think this episode will resonate with a friend of yours, if you know someone who perhaps is in a workplace that is deprived of empathy, or perhaps someone who's looking to achieve more empathy become more empathic in their lives, this is the episode for them. So without further ado, let me please introduce our guest, Lissa Mandel. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Relate Podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest joining us, my friend, Lissa Mandel. Lissa, thanks so much for joining us on the Relate Podcast today. I'm so excited to be here, Pat. Yes, you are really doing some amazing work. And I I think that you are one of few people that very much aligns with me as a person in, in my pursuits. You are an actor, a storyteller, someone who's very passionate about empathy. You also work for a tech company called Zany, which is all about fusing empathy into the workplace. You also host a podcast called uh, What's Betwixt Us that I've had the privilege of being a guest on and and helping you out with as well. And so you uh, are pursuing a lot of things that are very much of my interests and of my mindset as well. So you are definitely the perfect person to have on this show. So I can't thank you enough for being here. Oh, I love it. I mean, you it, you, you really uh, hit the nail on the head. I think that we definitely fell out of the same pod in terms of our 
Uh, I, no pun intended. <laughs> oh, oh, that was good. That was good. I was thinking of a pea pod, but then I was like, ah, the podcast angle. Yes, I think that we both had this evolution through um, through acting, through performing, um, where we realized that the values within it, you know, the values of empathy and connection within it were actually even more important to us than, you know, the attention that you get from being on stage. Right. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. That's something that I've really come to discover. And I feel like I'm discovering more and more as each day goes along. So I'm very excited to dive into the details of this with you. But for our listeners out there who may not be familiar with who you are and and what your work is about, I'm wondering if maybe you could just start off by sharing a little bit about yourself. Maybe how did you get into the acting world and how has that led you onto the path that you're pursuing today? Uh, sure. Um, very loaded question. My favorite kind. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, I think that I knew that I wanted to be an actor my freshman year of high school when I walked on stage in the high school auditorium to audition for the student written one act. And I did a, an excerpt. I performed an excerpt from the breakfast club as my oh, model. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, we were, uh, it, it wasn't like a, a typical audition. It was like all of the, the writers and the directors for the one acts who were all like senior high school seniors were in the audience. It was an open audition. So everybody auditioning was in the audience. And it was the first time that I got on stage uh, in a speaking way. Cause I had been, I had been dancing, you know, for most of my childhood, but you're never required to speak. And this was the first time that I really heard my voice resonate through a, through a big auditorium. And it was like electricity. After that, I, I had to go home and and do my English homework, I remember. And I remember feeling so bummed about it. I was like, who cares about this? Like, I need some of that juice of, of just like hearing my voice fill up a whole space. So I felt that. And then I was sort of in denial of, of that desire to really be an actor all the way through college graduation. Like I did I did acting in college. I did theater stuff, but I still never was quite ready to fully pursue it. And so, you know, I had some office jobs right after college. I worked in marketing and development for a theater company in New York for Labyrinth. And then, uh, but all the while I was sort of like, well, I would rather be the one on stage. What was it, do you think, through high school and through college? And then from what you were saying a little bit after as well, what was it that you think held you back from wanting to pursue acting? Was it just that you weren't, it, it, was it like a matter of self-doubt or was it just something that you didn't want to do fully at that point in your life? Oh, it was all self-doubt. It was all imposter syndrome. It was, and it was totally this fear of not, not being able to, to succeed at it, not being able to financially support myself, which of course, as we know, as actors, like, it's still not super feasible to support yourself <laughs> at the time. It was right. really like, it, it was really, it was really a fear of that instability and a doubt that I actually had what it took. I might still today not have been pursuing it if I hadn't been laid off from that job during the, the collapse of 2008. But as soon as I was laid off from it, I just threw myself fully into acting. And that was, that was the beginning of that. So it's like, there's this, rebirth in a lot of ways from this 
what could be perceived as a very hard time, very challenging time with you losing your job. Was that, would you say, was that like a wake up call for you? And then that's what pushed you into the acting profession? Yeah. I mean, I remember the day that I got laid off leaving the office and like crying and being upset, but also feeling really excited. Like the floor had just come out from under me, almost like to be a little bit woo woo, like the universe was like pushing me in a direction. So it was a gift. I mean, I, I, I knew that it was a that it was a gift. And I, and soon thereafter, I started doing like cater waitering before I could even work in a restaurant. And even though cater waitering is a very, you know, humbling, like you blend into the background, like there's no accolades attached to it. I remember feeling so free doing it because I was like, yes, this is the kind of thing that you do if you're really committed to your craft. Wow. Wow, that, yeah, I really like that a lot. It definitely provides a, an in-depth perspective. Almost in a way, there's that quote that if you have a plan B, it distracts from plan A. Ugh. And it sounds it sounds like that since you were in this catering position, you knew that it was serving the greater purpose of you pursuing acting. Exactly, exactly. And that was definitely one of the things that got drilled into us when so, so I, I had, I went back when I lost my job, I went back to a, a conservatory program. I went to the Maggie Flanagan studio, which is a Meisner program in New York. It's a two year uh, conservatory program. And we kept being reminded, you know, you have to remind yourself constantly why you're doing this, because if you don't always remind yourself, you, you get, you get overwhelmed and bewildered and, and you you're just spinning your wheels. So in a way, like, even though there's no like glamour or fame attached to waiting tables, the fact that I was doing it was a reminder to me that I was committed to this thing that meant so much to me. Yeah, I think that makes so much sense. And I would love to discuss too, what comedy means to you, because obviously, it, it's one thing to, to pursue acting and but acting in and of itself is a very broad, there's a wide variety of different things you could do within the acting profession. And I know that you have a lot of comedy experience mm -hmm. specifically. So I would love for you to talk about this. What was it specifically about comedy that drew you in so much so that at least for the most part, that tends to be a large majority of your focus? Yeah. <laughs> well, where, where acting was something I always knew I wanted to do, comedy was a complete surprise to me. I had always taken myself so seriously as an actor. Like I did a lot of Shakespeare in college. And then it wasn't until I was like well out of my conservatory program that I was like, you know, I kind of want to get into commercials. I might as well take an improv class because it looks good on your resume. And I took my first improv class at the People's Improv Theater. And that was it. I was hooked. I got, I did the entire program, which is five levels. And then I started getting on teams and it was, it was a huge epiphany. And of course, improv, a lot of people will tell you that improv leads to other forms of comedy like stand up, which is definitely the case for me because I was on stage, like sharing focus, you know, with a team of seven or eight people for quite a few years before I was like, Hmm, okay. Now I'm comfortable on stage, you know, without a script and I have things to say 
about my personal experience. And I, I remember I was in the bar at the pit uh, with my friend Yerusha, and I was just ranting about something, angry about something in the, you know, neurotic Jewish way that is my way. And she was <laughs> laughing at me. And I was like, why are you laughing? This is serious. She's like, no, you're so funny. You're hysterical. And it was, it was that, that made me realize like, oh, maybe some of the, maybe some of the anxiety and the darkness that I've always carried around with me as part of who I am can be transmuted into something healing, you know, can be transmuted into something that makes other people laugh and feel less alone. And so I, I started doing stand up from that. And it was like, wow, I, I had no idea. And I also, <laughs> a previous version of me would have judged me so hard because I used to not care about stand up at all. I, I used to think that it was like, I used to think that it was cheap to go on stage and get laughs. Cause what I wanted to do was like puncture people in the soul. You know what I mean? Um, right. Right. It ended up being so much more aligned with me than anything I'd ever done on stage before, because it was about telling the truth, the messy, raw human truth of myself. And where, where lots of people are like, Oh my gosh, you do stand up. That's so scary. And I'm like, no, What's scary is like repressing your truth inside of you so that it turns into a disease. Like for me and for a lot of other standups, getting on stage is like cleaning out the pipes. It's like therapy in front of an audience. Wow. Yeah, that it's really amazing when you put it that way. And I know that that sometimes this could sound very cheesy where it's almost like you didn't find comedy, comedy found you. Yeah. And, you know, that sounds cheesy, but it sounds like in this situation, it was absolutely true where comedy was kind of brought into your life and you found that you almost in a lot of ways had this superpower when you were performing comedy, whether it was stand-up or whether it was improv. And I, I love what you're saying too about this opportunity to be able to speak our human truth through comedy mm -hmm. and how that is in a lot of ways that sort of, uh, oh, what was the term you used? That soul, uh, like poking at the soul Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways that that's, that's what it is. So in some ways you kind of found that, but just in this unexpected way. Exactly. And I was so happy to, I was so happy to find it in that way because I, I I grew up very much a person who I think was pretty controlling, uh, not, not of other people, just of my own myself and my output. And so I was always a person who knew what direction I was headed in. And I remember in college feeling envious of people who, you know, stumbled into uh, a subject that they didn't know that they, they liked and falling in love with it. And I was like, huh, that sounds kind of cool. Like, but I already know everything I like, so I can't be surprised by anything. And then <laughs> comedy happened and I was like, I don't know who I am right now, but suddenly there was just, suddenly there was so much joy available. And I didn't, I just never thought that that was possible for me. I was such a serious kid. And then comedy and improv especially provides, you know, this opportunity to play and have play for play's sake and joy for joy's sake. And that was just like an outrageous epiphany to me. Like what? I can have a good time. 
That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny. I'm very surprised to hear you say that you were a very serious kid. I, I wouldn't think that knowing you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I was a really tightly wound type A little seed. And it took, uh, it took all the experience that I had and, and, and getting into improv to really crack open that seed to, because I didn't even realize that I was, I was functioning on a motor of fear my whole life. And it had helped me with achievement, with getting straight A's and getting into a great school and, and, you know, getting great interviews for jobs after that. But like, it, I was never fully realized. And I didn't even know that until I started doing improv. I really, well, that's really powerful, actually, that you reflect back on your life and you're working from this place of fear. And it sounds like in a lot of ways through acting and then more specifically through comedy, there was almost this uh, epiphany in a sense. And so, you know, with all of that said, I'd love to branch back out a little bit to just ask you, what is it specifically about acting, whether it be through comedy or other forms of acting that you find that you really connect with? Why is it something that you're still very passionate about? You know, I'm always interrogating myself about it. And for me, I think the truth is that it's more about, it's more about the camaraderie and about the naked, open connection in real time with another person. So, you know, that's why Meisner in particular is so good for that because it's not about, it's about being an open and uh, open and vulnerable as a vessel so that like you can really respond, listen and respond uh, in real time and authentically. So it's, it's even less about the script and than it is about the electricity between people. And I, I don't know what that comes from. I don't know if that's because I was a really, really lonely kid. The fact that I, I just have this like desire, this undying desire to like press my heart against somebody else's heart and just like fuse that, like have that flow. And then to do that in a whole group of people, especially theater, you know what I mean? Like I do film and TV now because that's where, you know, you can get some traction. You could actually like make enough money to live on if you do well. But like theater is the first love because you're basically just doing a giant trust fall with the other people in the show with you. And that's a bonding experience. I'm in it for the bonding experience, I think. Yes, I would absolutely agree with you on this. I think that a big reason why I'm drawn to the the profession is the communal aspect of it. That, that community nature, that collaborative nature, like what you were just saying, that connection to a group, I think is really at the core of our humanity, is really connecting with one another and developing relationships with one another and, and friendships. And I think that's, I would absolutely agree with you, is that there's this draw to it because you're really dealing with the the humanity of it all and there's such a humane aspect to the acting profession that sometimes in a lot of ways could be lacking in many other industries exactly i mean exactly it, it's yeah I think I'm in it for selfish reasons. You know what I mean? Like I definitely am here for the storytelling aspect, of course. And, and I'm here for the aspect of 
giving the audience permission to live through things and feel things in a safe, contained space. Uh, because I think that that's also what it's, what acting is important for, but like for, for purely selfish reasons, it's just, it's wanting to connect a community. And so as you can imagine, I'm struggling during this pandemic, man. <laughs> uh, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, it's I, I keep saying that I feel like I'm very friend deprived because yeah. you know, unlike in usual times or olden days, you can't <laughs> you can't like go out and hang out with people in the same way, at least not at this point. And I hope fingers crossed is that as we go into the, the new year that things will, you know, take a turn for the better. And, you know, I think what is very inspiring too to kind of bridge bridge the gap with what you're doing as an actor and then some of the other work that you're doing as well you work with a tech company called Zany which is all about infusing empathy into the workplace as i mentioned before you also have this podcast called what's betwixt us where it's talking about empathy at work and so I would love for you to talk about your work with this organization and I guess really how this this philosophy and perspective on the acting profession ties nicely into what you are doing with with Zany. Sure. Yes. Uh Zany is is an app for Slack which is basically a conversation generator. It helps to spark weekly conversations among team members and, and up to teams of seven, but for companies of any size uh, to help break the ice and uh, foster trust and like a real connection, uh, an authentic human connection uh, between coworkers, especially coworkers who are working remotely. So it's like infusing the water cooler talk or like sparkling dinner party conversation uh, into remote work environments where you otherwise might not ever know anything personal about the people you're working with. So it's to, it's, it's designed to remind people that the person on the other side of the screen is a whole human being with a whole life and, you know, family and friends and messiness. And, and so I'm all about this. And uh, of course, this this job came to me through my friend Shayna, who I know through improv. She 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 lured me in uh, on the basis of, do you care about empathy and technology? And I said, yes, you know, whatever I can do. Oh, um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's a very small venture. It, it almost feels like a startup in that, you know, it's very few people who do a variety of different kinds of tasks just because they believe in it. And I will say that after so many years of like really devoting myself to acting in comedy, I said, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything with my time unless I fully believe in it or I'm getting paid a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like I just, <laughs> right, right. I, don't, I don't have time or space anymore to just do work that is filler. And so I feel very connected to to this zany work. And I get to, you know, one of my main jobs is brainstorming the kinds of questions uh, that get asked on a weekly basis through the app. So that lets me use um, my imagination in a way. And, um, you know, one of the, one of my main projects before uh, I got to zany was being the host and producer of this podcast, the bitch seat, which was uh, a talk show, uh, an interview show 
about the universal vulnerability of youth. So I would have guests on uh, and we would talk about childhood, but like not in an overly serious way and not in a mean spirited way, in a way that people were sort of rediscovering parts of their inner child live on stage. So I was in the business of asking all kinds of uh, specific personal questions, you know, like, what kind of what would have would have been your dream backpack to carry around in seventh grade or what were like, you know, what was your favorite vacation that you ever went on growing up? And, you know, unsurprisingly, when people are asked questions about their childhood, you tap into a deep, old, vulnerable part of them that get the it, it accomplishes more in connection in terms of connection than asking something about their life now, you know, like some basic, like what's your favorite movie, which is also a totally decent question. But the beautiful thing about Zany is that, you know, the questions are scaled to go from more surface to, to deeper over time. And you can really dig in there so that people are, are getting to know really vulnerable, true parts of each other, hopefully at work. So it all feels very connected to the acting and to the improv, because it's really about trying to bring in aspects of speaking your truth, being open about your feelings, um, and really bringing your whole self to work in a way that is still pretty foreign in a lot of work environments. Yeah, it. I cannot like everything you're saying, I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I am and a big reason why I really believe in the work that Zany's doing, because I, I'm a big believer that when you really know the people that you're working with, you can accomplish so much more together. And it gives you this understanding of this, okay, this person that you're working with, whether in person or whether on the other side of the screen, like they are a human being with with flaws, with with great things about them as well. And when we really take the time to get to know one another, to really build those meaningful relationships, I think that it makes the whole process of working so much, so much more enjoyable. Because even if you're doing a job that is kind of mundane, not really that exciting, if you are working with people who care about you, who you care about, who you might have fun with as well, maybe you go out and do things together, even if it's just you know in within the professional work environment sphere, when you do those things and you feel that connection, I feel like it makes the work so much more bearable and enjoyable. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's now you know, plenty of research to show that, you know, happier or more fulfilled or more well understood employees will naturally produce better. And, you know, and so these are, of course, good things to tell, like people at the top of the business, and if they're, if they're interested in their margins, you know, the profit loss, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm more interested in, you know, the humanity of it. And don't we want to build something where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, no matter what the work is. And there is natural energy, like a volcano of energy that gets tapped when somebody feels like they are appreciated and understood and really, really heard, you know, as, as an individual, not just as a cog in a machine. And so it, it actually benefits everybody. It benefits 
the employees, it benefits the whole company, it benefits the bottom line if people are are seen as whole people in their work. So there's no there's no downside to it. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. It's funny with the, this conversation, I'm reminded of uh, after I had graduated from college, I also, you know, worked uh, for a few years as well, a full-time job. And I was always very enthusiastic about the lunch hour, like <laughs> asking people like, hey, hey, you want to have lunch today? You want to have lunch today? Sometimes people would take me up on the offer. Sometimes they'd be like, oh, no, got got too much work to do today. And I think at the moment I didn't like, I obviously in that moment, I always really enjoyed having lunch with, you know, my fellow coworkers. But I think at that moment I didn't realize or how actually important those sort of things are. I think to go off what you said before, I think in today's culture, there's this mentality of like, okay, I'm just going to work, you know, straight throughout the day. I'm going to get more done. I'm going to be more productive that way. Like I'm just going to eat at my desk while, while I do my while while I do my work. And there's not people or I not all people, of course, but there is this mentality. And who knows, maybe the COVID situation will change this. But pre-COVID, there was definitely this mentality of, okay, I can't take a break sitting with my coworkers, my colleagues for too long, just chatting about whatever is a waste of time. And yeah. I'm much I'm much more productive if I just eat through my lunch. And, you know, it's this this simple concept and even like books I've read about like productivity and things like that. It talks about, oh, don't, you know, just work through the lunch hour. You're wasting too much time if you if you take a break. And it's like but then I I think about it and I'm like that that is actually very, very important time for connecting with the people who you work with and for really leaning into that humanity and it's something that i really hope you know maybe companies don't have to have like a quote-unquote lunch hour policy where you must stop everything and eat together but having something like that i think is is very important to an organization yeah i mean and you know what you're discussing is a very american problem i mean if yes you, yes side of america especially especially to Western Europe, where the work-life balance is very different. And, you know, people can easily work 20 or 30 hours uh, and and then have plenty of time to to live. And, you know, when I was in, uh, I was in Spain doing a commercial a few years ago, and I met a few, a few women at this bar in, in Barcelona. And that was one of the first things they said to me. They were like, we think it's kind of weird and rude about Americans where the first thing they ask each other is, well, what do you do? And I was like, isn't that normal? And they said, well, here, you know, what people ask each other is like, what do you, you know, what do you enjoy? Where do you like to travel? And what are your hobbies? And, you know, they ask each other about, about what they enjoy about life and America. I mean, as you know, the quintessential capital of, capitalism of course it's about how much work are you doing how much productivity and i think that that does devalue humanity uh in favor of like the corporation and i would argue that 
what you've done with your life and what I've done with, with my life is to make lunch hour the whole thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Like, yeah. I mean, you, you have this podcast and now you have this other podcast that you're starting, which is so exciting. And I, you know, for Zany, I do this podcast, uh, What's Betwixt Us, which you were a, a guest on. And of course, which you help out with the production aspects of it. And the whole point of the podcast is I get to talk to people about empathy, humanity, connection, things that matter to me. And now that's my job. Like having these lunch hour conversations is my job now. And it feels healthier to me. And I hope that you and I can be examples of what's possible to people. If they are feeling trapped in, in their work where they don't feel like their full humanity is being utilized, that there is this other way to exist. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, that's the hope. And to, to go off of that with regards to the podcast, What's Betwixt Us, you've had some amazing guests on the show to talk about, as, as you were just saying, to talk about empathy, whether it's in their workplaces or in workplaces in general. And so I would love for you to share with our listeners, maybe just some of the things I know that the podcast, it's only been out for a few months now. But with that said, you, you still have had a, a good handful of conversations. I'm wondering if there's anything that you've kind of gleaned from these conversations that that you're hearing that are really important when it comes to empathy in the workplace? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I speak to people from a real variety of industries, which that was the idea to sort of bring the conversation up, even if it's in an in uncomfortable place. And one of my favorite conversations uh, was with this woman who works in finance. Her name is Lauren Leslie. And she is, of course, one of the few women in her investment bank. And I think it was a really freeing and unexpected experience for her to talk to me about empathy because that's it's really uh, an alien concept or a, a somewhat irrelevant seeming concept uh, in her firm, in finance in general. And that is the kind of stuff that's extra exciting to me is like, Sure, I can talk to other other actors and improvisers, you know, and people in the in the industry and I do and empathy comes really easy to them and it's part of their work, but to challenge somebody who works in something like finance about where the pinpoints of empathy live, where the humanity lives there, where it can be, where it's a flower that can be watered a little bit was super interesting to me. Um specifically, we talked about how you know, she wears, uh, she wears a suit to work, you know, w when she's going to work in person and everybody in the office wears a suit. Uh, and she sees it as this costume that people put on almost this, this armor, you know, it's, it's like a mask that sort of hides the soft, mushy vulnerability inside, because that's what's required to do this kind of business, at least so far, but to conceive of it as a costume as opposed to, you know, a uniform that imprisons you was a really enlightening and uplifting thing to hear. Like, oh, I can put this on and I can suddenly have this, this superpower when interacting with clients. I can take it off and be the goofy person I am underneath. And I'm just, I was really interested in that conversation because I want to push the boundaries, especially for people who are like, oh no, empathy is not important where I work. And I'd be like, well, I beg to differ, you know, it's in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, you know, it's 
I, I I actually I really enjoyed that episode, and I think what's fascinating is that it, it it makes me very curious as to where empathy is going to like how it's going to manifest in all of these different industries that it barely exists in over time. Like I wonder if especially post covid if we're going to be seeing any sort of change when it comes to empathy in the workplace when it comes to human connections and and really that humanity that seemed pretty much nearly extinct in in these you know very hierarchical uh, institutions yeah, I mean, I ask people about that on almost every episode, what they think, what they think COVID is going to change about the way we work. And, you know, it, it's twofold. On the one hand, when you're Zooming with people all the time, you naturally end up being invited into each other's personal spaces. And so your humanity almost can't be hidden anymore. So it's like you're seeing people's children or people's pets pop in, you're seeing the books on their bookshelves. And so you end up, you end up being more intimate with your coworkers than maybe you ever were when you were with them in person, just by virtue of the fact that this is how we have to connect now. And the other reason why I think it'll be positive is because as we said before, people are so starved for human contact right now, like live in person with pheromones, human contact that once we are all let out of our cages, so to speak, I anticipate a real buoyancy and uh, like a renaissance almost of of the magic of gathering in person and 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 that people many people are learning oh it actually was really important for me to be in the office at least for a couple of days of the week because i needed that human contact and so i mean call me pollyanna or whatever but i actually think that covid is going to be positive in terms of changing how we work and how we think about work in this country. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I love how you say that there will be a renaissance. I, I would absolutely agree with you on that. And I'm I'm very curious to see what that renaissance looks like. And I but I do think with that said, I think that there will be some sort of rebirth of some kind. And I would love uh kind of going along with this topic, if if you know obviously your work with Zany, a tech company, provides a tech solution to empathy. I would love for you to discuss with our listeners, how do you believe technology limits our capacity for empathy? And then how do you believe technology expands it? Well, to how it limits, how it limits it, I mean, I really don't think that there is any substitution for for flesh and blood connection. I think that so much is going on uh, sensorily that we don't even, we don't even know about because we don't quite understand when we are in person with somebody else, but we are sharing atoms with that, with that person. And we are sensing, you know, nonverbal cues. Um, there are, you know, smells and sounds that, that don't come through if you're, if you're, you know, chatting with someone online, just that, the, the capability of touch, even if you're not actually touching somebody, the closeness I think is incomparable. And no matter how good Zoom gets, it's never going to duplicate that experience of, of being, say, 
in like a large live music venue, you know, at a concert or like in a theater watching a show or sitting around a bonfire with people, those things that actually have nothing to do with like, um, words sometimes they just have to do with the feelings that arrive when you're surrounded by other people uh so i think that the technology is limited in that way just based on what it is but in terms of how it expands us you know people like to dump on social media and i you know i've seen the social dilemma and i i see the addiction involved and i see the manipulation involved and i don't excuse any of that however i will say that I think that something like Instagram has been such an incredibly important tool for educating people about connection and the psychology of connection. Um, there are so many resources available now that used to be behind, you know, that gatekeepers would, would, would keep behind locked doors in terms of, I, I basically think technology and the internet and social media allow us to learn and learn and learn and consume as much knowledge as we want uh, about how we operate. What is consciousness? You know, what are the different ways of, of being? Um, I think it, it just like blows open the world so people can see what possibilities there are, you know, because before there was social media, people had a smaller worlds and they had expectations and they felt like they had to hew more closely to those expectations because they couldn't physically see the other possibilities. Like now how many Instagram accounts are there of people who travel all over the world, taking pictures for a living or people who are educating each other about diversity, equity, and inclusion concepts or, just learning how people live they, that they would otherwise never be able to have a window in. And so in that way, I think the technology is wildly expansive. It's just a matter of professionalizing it so that the consumers or the users, which are both words that I hate, aren't taken advantage of. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you on that. I think so much of it is a matter of how technology is being used in a mindful way that so much so that we are able to reap the benefits of it while mitigating the potential negatives that that could come with whether it's excessive technology use or or whether it be issues with regards to data and privacy which is you know why there's this great movement to professionalize tech which I am also all for I think that would solve a lot of issues down the line and so, yeah, I, I would agree with you on this. I think that there are a lot of opportunities present because of technology. It gets rid of a lot of those gatekeepers that you were talking about and can really open the door. I know there there's so many people that I've connected with online over the past couple of years that I never would have met if it hadn't been for the technologies that we are that surround yeah. us today. So, so yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. I think there is a lot of good that, that could come out of it. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, if we had this pandemic right now and social media wasn't a thing, I don't know if I'd still be talking with you right now, Pat. Like, I think that I would have truly died of loneliness, but the, my saving grace right now is the internet to connect with people, not only people in my city, but people literally all over the world where I can 
have, you know, writing groups with or take dance classes with or have discussions with. And that is just saving my sanity. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. So, uh, Alyssa, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the Relate podcast. I, again, I really appreciate you taking the time. And I also really appreciate the work that you're doing, both as an actor, as a conversation engineer at Zany, as well as an advocate for empathy. You really do bring your heart to all the work that you do. It really allows people like myself, as well as other people in your sphere and your network to really be drawn to you and to be drawn to not only your work, but to you as a person as well. So I'll be very excited to to share this episode with our listeners. You're so kind, Pat. I really always love talking to you. I always am in a better mood after I've talked to you. You just (laughs) a really infectious generosity of spirit. And it was totally my pleasure to talk to you today. Where can our listeners find out more information about you and all the great work that you're doing? Uh, So for Zany, uh, if you're interested in learning more about the app, that is Zany, Z-A-N-I-E dot A-P-P. Check that out. Uh, If you want to listen to the What's Betwixt Us podcast, it is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, basically all the platforms. So highly recommend that. And for me personally, uh, my favorite social media is Instagram. uh, And my handle is a flock of sandwiches. Uh, And (laughs) for more about my, you know, with all of my typical website stuff, um, what I'm up to, resume, pictures, all that, it's lissamandel.com. Perfect. I love I love that handle, by the way. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I'll make sure to include the links to those various links in the show notes. So listeners out there, scroll down in the show notes, click those links, check out all the amazing work that Lissa is up to. Lissa, I have one last question for you before we part ways today. Okay. How can we as a society better relate to one another? I think that two things, two things that you can keep in mind every, every day. One, deep listening cannot be overstated. Whenever you're talk, having a conversation with anybody, whether it's like the delivery guy or the barista or your mom, really listen to them and try to put yourself in their shoes. And the other thing that I would say is never underestimate the value of a compliment. It can really change somebody's whole mood. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Yes. Oh my gosh. Great, great way to end the episode. Alyssa, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you, Pat. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.